Welcome to the Starfire Codes podcast, where we discuss metaphysics, survival, the media, and the truth. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Demi Pitchell. We're here today with Michael Newberry. Michael Newberry is a visionary painter with an art career spanning five decades. He's known for his avant-garde figurative style and contributions to color theory, humanism, and art history. Michael Newberry, part one. I'm excited to talk with you about, you know, everything that's been going on here. Um, and, and we have so many things to touch upon. This is great. Um, let's start by uh, by talking about um, you had written an article about terrorism and, and postmodern art. Let's start there and talk about, you know, uh, a bit of what you were saying about that. And, and we'll, you know, uh, we'll move on from there. OK, uh, after 9-11, um, I. I was really uh, despondent that uh, that the United States was under some kind of attack. Um, and, but I've been, you know, I started art school in, in, in 1974 and it was bombarded by postmodern art, which is so negative it 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 disrupts our mental pathways it disrupts how how people come to understand something um like putting two and two together it's it's disrupting that on many many different levels and i thought that the destruction of the world trade center was um is is also a destruction of art because of architecture, it's blowing up an important architectural piece. And um, I saw the postmodern connection because postmodernism is anti-art and they want to destroy things. And my belief is that art is the, the front runner to where we're going. So when you see destructive art that's really nasty, filled with rage, it's anti-human values and all that thing, that's a hairbringer of what is to come to a culture. And we've been living with postmodern art since 1917 with Marcel Duchamp's uh, urinal, The Fountain. And so that was, and that he became known as the most influential artist of the 20th century. There was some poll taken in Britain about who was the most influential artist of the 20th century. And uh, Duchamp uh, won that poll. Wow. <laughs> and so, so when I start seeing the destruction of the United States or this kind of thing, I was going, but this has been going on for a long time in the arts, and I've been aware of it all this time, and now it's coming to fruition. And um, so I wrote an article about connecting those dots. So let's get into in terrorism uh, and postmodern. Yeah, let's get into some of what you found there. Um, you know, even in in seeing um, in seeing that the that there was a thread in between, you know, um, the destruction of of something that that is uplifting, that makes us, you know, look at what humans are able to accomplish and and, you know, destroying that and, and the way that, you know, as far as, you know, art goes, 
you know, destroying something of, of great beauty and great value, you know, by, um, by taking that down and, and breaking it down into something that, um, that's less than what it should have been to begin with, you know, as far as like postmodern, the whole postmodern movement goes, you know, it, it's, um, it's a way of deconstructing that just like what was happening with the towers. So, you know, take me, take me on that process, take me on that journey of, of figuring out that, that this um, had a thread of connectivity there. Well, the, the urinal was, was um, the Champs urinal was submitted to an art exhibition in New York and they rejected it. It was a data <laughs> thing and it was so over the top that they even just threw it away. But then I believe the Philadelphia Museum of Contemporary Art, Philadelphia Museum, but they have recreated the urinal <laughs> and it's it has a star place in one of the contemporary art museums today. And when you think of a museum, it's almost without exception, we think of museums as a place that's showing the best of culture in some form or some important significant thing, but they're bringing something important to humanity to say this object or this thing is important. And when you bring it into a museum of modern art, something like the urinal, which is so, it's the epitome of cynicism. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is no skill set involved. It's a found object, it's urinal. The theme is pissing on art. Um, but then if you were to compare it to a sculpture by Michelangelo or a, a Monet, there's a total disconnect there. You can't, they're not the same. They're not in the same class. They're not in the same, um, I don't mean class like in quality, they're not in the same genre, they're not anywhere close. And when people see the urinal in a museum, they short circuit. It short circuits them. And then some of them will just give up on museums and give up on art altogether, because they feel intimidated and they don't understand it. When you show them a urinal, they go, I don't get this. I don't understand anything to do with it. And so the next time they think of a museum, they just say, no, I'm not going there because it's going to throttle my brain. It's going to, um, it, it, I can't cope with that. Because the art there, the, you know, the, the art of that is not in the piece itself. It's in the explanation behind the piece. It's in the narrative that's been crafted behind that piece. And if they're not um, privy to what that narrative is, if they're just seeing the piece and they're not, you know, having that sort of, you know, educational explanation behind, you know, like why this, um, why this would provide some sort of social commentary, you know, um, that, uh, that this piece of art is actually, you know, a, a urinal because there's a connection there between, um, you know, pissing on art and, and, you know, creating that sort of um, nod towards societal decay that's even happening there. You know, even where people are, um, you know, there have been some artists, some modern artists taking like bits and pieces of, of cockroaches and creating out of that 
or you know um, painting with um, with feces or with menstrual fluid things like this to you know to show this kind of like decay of um, of animal parts or bodily fluids or you know things like this and it, it creates a, a great deal of controversy and people people um, gravitate to it because of that because of the the notoriety behind it you know um, but not really because of the artistry behind it it's because of the commentary it's 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 the meta piece that was written about the piece not the piece itself so really it's the crafting of that narrative that becomes the art behind it not the piece itself you know it's just i, I mean i could say that about any object so what makes that art really you know or the the way that they're defining it would be the commentary behind it. But if the person's not privy to that commentary and they don't understand, they just show up and, and they're seeing a urinal and they're like, what's the difference between this and a bathroom? Right. So on, so on the one hand, you have a person who may not know much about art, just be um, intimidated and just walk away. And then you have the person that may understand the intellectual idea. And then one of the biggest um justifications for this kind of artist that this artist isn't bad this artist is showing you how bad the world is mm -hmm. so they're just being a mirror reflecting it but then on a deeper level art is the original psyop and psyop is a psychological manipulation of humanity and um artists want to manipulate the audience. They want them to feel certain things. They want them to feel uh, the experience. They want them to think thoughts about their life or their future or their past and contemplate things. An artist really wants you to invite you into their world, but they want you to experience it like, like it's real happening to you in a sense. And so one of the things that with human psychology it's interesting is the habit of how you program yourself what you allow into your consciousness the type of people you allow in your orbit um, if you have nothing but negative nasty people who have low self-esteem and they tear down everyone around them if you have them around your life it's going to affect you in negative ways so you might internalize it, you might just be rebelling against it, but whatever it is, it may take you down in your interaction or internally. And so postmodern art is actually serving that function of taking people down. So whether they understand that it's a, a, a complaint against other bad actors, it will still take them down. So that's like listening to Debbie Downer or someone complaining constantly about everything instead of saying, well, what are you doing about your life? So um, it's it has a very powerful effect. And like a psyop, most people don't know that it's, it's having that effect on them. Most people are not aware that when they are surrounded by cynical art it is having adverse effects on them 
So, so when um, when someone is exposed to something like that and they're not exposed to any sort of a solution for it, they're they're just exposed to this societal commentary that's that's kind of you know um, highlighting the situation but not offering any sort of a solution for the situation. It just you know puts them into a state of of thinking how bad things are. It's basically blackpilling the people who are, are looking at that piece of artwork if, if they're not, you know, the type of person to be solution focused anyway. So there, there's an element there that's missing is that, you know, like solution focus of, you know, like, yes, this is the way things are. And, and maybe we, maybe it is, you know, something that's responsible, you know, for us to look at that, but it's irresponsible of us to look at that and not provide some sort of framework for thinking it through and, and thinking through how to fix it, you know, mm -hmm. um, or, you know, how to, um, how to deal with that, how to, um, how to conceptualize that and, and, you know, um, how to find a, a way out. You know, so so if they are put into that mindset and, and mindsets like that, you know, um, when when you have that sort of overarching feeling surrounding you and, and you're, you know, um, stuck in that part of an emotion and it ripples outward from you and you're not used to being the sort of person who transmutes that kind of energy that doesn't, you know, let that energy end with you and, and pushes it outward. It pushes it outward into, you know, different facets of your day and then that has further reach, you know, as, as other people are experiencing that energy and pushing it forward too. So, you know, what do you, what do you think as far as, you know, um, yeah, there's a, there's a an element of um, of having a necessary dialogue surrounding the bad things that happen to us. But you know, how do we um, how do we take the next step to to counteract that when when the psyop is being used in a negative way to you know um, bring it back around to a place of being solution focused instead of you know focused on everything that's wrong. It's like you know giving us that feeling that, you know, that we can't control what's happening in our world. And it's just this, um, you know, overwhelming cynicism. Right. Um, well, you make an excellent point. I want to just go back one second real mm -hmm. quick. What does black pilling mean? Oh, um, to, uh, you know, just like you, you have um, red pilling would be to wake up. Black pilling would be to... Um, to have just this overarching sense of dread and inability to affect change, just, you know, sitting in the darkness of it and feeling no hope. And people, um, people send out information um, in that way, similar to what you're saying about the cynicism behind the art. They'll send out news information in this way that has no solution. It's just put there to make people feel hopeless. Right. And it, it feels like there's a parallel there. Yeah. And so you made a really good point about offering a better alternative. Um, and it's really odd for me that artists act like victims. Many artists act like victims. And, and I think the role of art is kind of inherently leadership based you're showing a world that you're inviting people into and so you're you're kind of the conductor of this this trip or this journey and 
you can take them to a miserable place and take them to hell, like Dante's Inferno and all that stuff. You can take them uh, down, um, but you can also show them uh, the meaning of life. Or, you know, artists should be thinking about all those big thoughts. What's the meaning of life? And do it explicitly. But then they have to own that they're being an artist. So one of the major books I wrote during COVID was Evolution Through Art. And the one of the themes is Aristotle's theme of eudaimonia. And it's pronounced differently on how, depending on how you spell it. Um, but uh, it's the idea of having moments that are ends in themselves that give you a sense of what all the, of flourishing, but as a moment experience. So you get this one moment of going like, I'm so happy I exist to experience this feeling. And that's the meaning of life. I don't need to question it further. I'm just feeling this incredible sense of, of joy or it's, it's not just a momentary happiness. It's um, uh, your existence is meaningful and it's, it's shaping the way you would hope. And Aristotle's very realistic. He's saying that's not going to happen to everyone. There's going to be slaves that are miserable and there's nothing they can do about it. And so they can't be happy because they're not free agents. Um, so that's a, a, a theme of coming back to offering a better alternative. My life's work um, instinctually started out this way is showing a moment that is a moment that I would like to live and experience out of millions of moments. It's like, what is the most important one? And uh, I have to say it served me very, very well in self-esteem and um, being clear about issues and being happy with my art and my career and the choices I make and the people that I attract. Absolutely. And and to have that sort of focus on on joy, on bliss, on, you know, on proliferating happiness through capturing one moment and, and having people reflect upon that moment and pull that energy into themselves and affect that energy as as they move throughout the day. It's, it's a different impact that you're having versus, you know, an artist that's trying to highlight, you know, as you were saying, their victimhood and then not offering a solution to find a way out of that victimhood into a state of, um, of bliss or joy or, you know, finding your way even, you know, not even having to get that far, but, you know, just finding a way out of that. You know, to not have that, you know, sort of like, you know, to use the same term, black-pilled feeling surrounding that hopelessness, you know. Um, but there's a, uh, sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, there's, that's okay. Uh, there's a, an element of like the chicken crossing the road. It's just to get to the other side. That's the goal. So you wonder why someone who wants to black pill would even make an artwork. Mm -hmm. If it's everything is so bad and so cynical, miserable, 
why do you need to do to create something about that? There's so, no there's no logical point to doing it. Where if you have an end that's meaningful to you, then it makes more sense why you want to get there and bring other people there as well. I can see if you're trying to raise awareness, but raising awareness without providing solution or at least the thought process for, you know, or the infrastructure for creating some sort of solution behind that, it doesn't seem like it does much other than, you know, um, bring people down into that same space. It, it, it doesn't do anything to to elevate or to change it, right. you know, and and the beginning of change is raising awareness, sure, but you know it's part of of that person's responsibility to kind of take it a step further. And you do have to wonder if they're not taking it a step further and they're not taking it a step further on purpose or there's no infrastructure within the art world for taking it that step further so that um, you know people can feel something attached to something and do something about it. You know, um, it, it changes the conversation. Like, you know, if you were to look at, you know, uh, Luis Bonwell's uh, Land Without Bread, right? And and he did this whole flip flop with the narrative, um, with the um, the narration, where um, you became so hateful of the narrator because he was talking so much smack about the people of of Andalusia um, in their poverty and and in their um, and just you know like the, the the plight of living there and and how um how difficult that was and and just you know what they went through day to day he had a narrator who was so cynical about it that it made you have a visceral reaction to it he did this on purpose so that it would you know create ire so that you would be um more invested in their play and and want to help you know so i can see you know where he took that and kind of flipped it on its head and and utilize that to to make people so angry that that they you know had a feeling about you know um, wanting to help, but mostly it's not done in that way, and it's not done you know with that kind of you know um, respect behind it where it where it is flipped. You wouldn't know initially. You just think you know wow this narrator is is a really horrible person. It just starts to build up in your system, and mm -hmm. and you have that kind of um, feeling about it. But eventually well, you come to the other side of it and you're like, oh, you know, I, I do feel something for these people, you know? So, so he... that, that what you're describing as polemicism, mm -hmm. uh, being polemical is like challenging and thwart, yeah. thwarting people and really pissing them off. <laughs> and that the more pissed off people are, it's funny how, how they're motivated to act when they're pissed off. Yeah. Where yeah. when they're happy or it's like, they're, oh, it's okay. <laughs> I don't need to, I can coast now. I don't need to do any work. <laughs> and, but polemicism is, is a very, very powerful tool. I, I don't know how well it works in painting though. Yeah, because, and, and it may. Because in painting is you got one moment to share. It's not a story. It's over time. It's not a novel. It's not a movie. It's not a symphony. And I mean, you can have antagonists like light and dark, and you could have an evil character and a heroic looking character playing off of one another, but you're sharing just one moment. So if that moment is polemical and negative, that's what it is as an end in itself. So for me, I can't quite bring myself to 
going to that place as an end in itself in my painting. Though in writing or telling a story or, or um, challenging people, or waking people up to like my discussing the terrorism of postmodern art. It's something I could do in writing, but I don't think it would work in a painting for my character. Yeah, and it, and it brings it back around to, you know, what we were talking about with those original pieces we were discussing where the narrative that they've crafted is the piece. So there's that story behind it that creates that sort of vision behind this found object or, or whatever this is that that is only a snapshot in time, as you're saying, too. So, you know, um, they're not relying upon just the piece to um, to speak for itself. They're relying mm -hmm. upon crafting a narrative that they then tell people about this piece, you know, and, and or they hope that the person will glean that just by looking at it, which is not necessarily the case. That well, that's classic art speak too. <laughs> you have some bricks thrown in a museum, you know, space, and then there's this blah 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 explanation. <laughs> the explanation is the art piece, not the bricks. You know, right? Like that's, but when that's people read it, mind. they're going like, "Come on, I know con artists when I hear them." You know, <laughs> 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 but but it's 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 odd, you know. Like I've heard. Throughout my life, and I, I understand it to a point of just letting the artwork speak for itself, mm -hmm. which is fine. But when you've had a populace that's been bombarded by postmodern psyop for uh, a century, the way they think about art has to, they, they actually don't understand it at its roots. And so... There becomes a point where you might have a great masterpiece and no one can see it. Um, Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead has the character Ellsworth Toohey, mm -hmm. who's really evil in the book. And one brilliant insight. So I read I read her when I was like um, 19 or 20. And one brilliant insight that kind of made me understand how what I was experiencing in school was that if you take Marcel Duchamp's urinal and praise it to the hilt as great art, you destroy the concept of great art. Right. So when you take really pathetic architects like Howard Rourke in The Fountainhead is an architect, when you you just ignore him, but you, the art critic can focus, the architectural critic can focus on really mediocre stuff and really pathetic, stupid people and promote them. In a way, you're diminishing the great architects that were alive at the time. So it's a very, it was a very insightful way of how to manipulate through art criticism and shift the value center. And it does, it confuses the hell out of people. So at some point, they could be looking at um, a Michelangelo sculpture or Rembrandt painting and not have a clue to what they're looking at. To hear part two of this interview, please subscribe at starfirecodes.com.